the book of Ephesians chapter number 1. Verse 11, In whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of Him who worketh all things after the counsel of His own will, that we should be to the praise of His glory who first trusted in Christ, in whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, after that ye believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession under the praise of His glory. So again, going back to this same idea and same thought, we are brought into the family of God by the work of the Godhead, by the work of God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. You know, where we are right now looking in verse number 13, 14, what we're seeing is the working of the Holy Spirit. Not, not that we didn't see the working of the Holy Spirit bring us to salvation, but He, through the sanctification of the Spirit, we were brought to faith in the Word of God that we heard. We may have heard the Word of God many be the time, but there came a day, if you're a believer tonight, if you're a believer this evening, there came a time that the Holy Spirit convinced you fully, completely of your need for salvation. So as Paul writes this, uh, they trusted, Paul trusted, the Jews trusted, they hoped in, they looked for a Christ to come. Well, now the Gentiles have also trusted, also hoped, also put their faith in. How, how did they come to that? They came to that after hearing and after believing the Word of God. After, I believe you could say this, after the work of the Holy Ghost in them to convince, to convince, to uh, 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 bring an absolute conviction of their need for a Savior. But you know, that's not all. I mean, here we are, we've got the Word of God that God chose us before the foundation of the world holy, without blame, in Christ, redeemed through His blood, forgiveness of sin, brought to the realization of God's will and purpose in our lives. And He's going to give us more. Isn't that wonderful? He's going to give you something personal. He's going to give you something that is to you as an individual that you could... All of this, ladies and gentlemen, is that the church could have an assurance a confidence, a rest. These people are under persecution. These people are continually being bombarded with coming back under the law. I tell you, Paul is trying to assure them and bring them to a place that they can have faith and an absolute assurance. Not that I read the Word of God, and that's my assurance. I tell you, He's gave me something even more. He has given, given us the seal of the Holy Spirit. You know, you think about this. Think about if you've ever seen a notary take that little seal out 
whether it was a title or uh, some legal document. She put that, put that piece of paper in there, squeezed that. That left an impression that will never be removed. Isn't that true? That impression that was left by that seal will never ever be done away with. You may get the paper wet. The paper may get ink stained. The paper may be dropped in a mud hole. But I tell you the impression that that seal left on that document. You know where God left that seal? On the document of my heart. On the document. You know, where is the document? Where is the agreement, the covenant between God and man? It's in the heart, is it not? So, by the work of the Holy Spirit, by the sealing of the Holy Spirit. Now please be mindful. There were believers who had not been sealed. Had the work of God been done? Had God done a work through the Holy Spirit in them? But they had not received the assurance, the authentication, the impression, and that that left them without any, without any thought or without any doubt. I tell you, God come by my heart one day and left an impression. I'm not saying that it takes two weeks or two months or two years, or I, I'm not. I'm not saying that it takes some great long length of time for that to happen. But I tell you that they prayed for that, they longed for that, they desired that, and I, I would say this: there's more than just being saved. I tell you, God comes by at times, ladies and gentlemen gives us an assurance, an authentication that can't be removed. You may reject that. That'll be all right. But I tried to give you Scripture to line up exactly what I'm saying. And if you're going to deny that, you go ahead and deny that. You say, well, everybody's sealed. Are they? Were they? Were they sealed? They didn't even know about the sealing of the Holy Spirit. But what is the seal? What is that? It's the authentication of God. It's the ownership of God left with you for your assurance. If one of you is sealed with, filled up with, overcome with under the influence of the Holy Spirit you think the rest of the church is aware of that so does that give the rest of the church assurance of your salvation are there people sitting here tonight that says they're saved that you have never found or never seen or never witnessed any authentication is that true Okay. You know, you may have to... If I'm wrong, you tell me. If I'm wrong, you tell me. But if this is the Word of God and we have to chew on it a little, chew on it. If you've got to get the approval of somebody else, 
we better figure it out ourselves. So this sealing, this sealing is God's authentication. In whom after that you trusted, you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that you believed, you were sealed. What happened? What happened when Peter went down to Cornelius' house? There was such an outpouring of the Holy Spirit that Peter said, why can't these people be baptized? They have received the sealing of the Holy Spirit like we did at the beginning. What were they doing? They were speaking in tongues. And I'm not saying that that's the only thing that authenticates. But Peter took that as God witnessing and God saying to him, you know, he had that experience on the rooftop and said, you know, Lord, these people, they, they, they just can't get in. Lord, I've never took anything unclean or nothing, anything that was out of your, the, out of the line of your word. You know what he's, he's commanded to do? To go to Gentiles. That's out of line with the word of God as far as he knows, isn't it? I can't go to them, but God says go, doubting nothing. When He goes down there, He preaches the Gospel to them. What happens? The Holy Ghost seals them. The Holy Ghost authenticates them. The Holy Ghost bears witness to them. The Holy Ghost says, these are mine. They were Gentiles. Would the rest of the church, being all Jewish at the moment, would they accept that? No, they're going to reject that. But you know what Peter did? He rehearsed it in his mind. He knew he was going to be brought on the carpet. He knew they was going to question him. What did he say? He said, who was I to forgive, to deny that they be brought in, be baptized, whom God had sealed? I'm not saying that he used that very word, but I'm saying he used that typology. They were sealed. So, is there more than just the sealing, the authentication? In whom also, after that you trusted, you heard the word of truth, the gospel of salvation. In whom also, after that you believed, you were sealed. You were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest. Really, that should be who? Because the Holy Ghost is the seal. He, the Holy Ghost, is the seal. Agreed? He, the Holy Spirit, is the seal. So it's not, this really, this word shouldn't be which is. You know, there's, there's, as we said Wednesday night, the Holy Spirit is not a it. Who? Who is the earnest? So you look up that word in Strong's, and maybe some other places, And you're going to find this. You're going to find a pledge. Or maybe it might be translated as earnest money. A down payment. Maybe it might be purchase money or a security or a a, a guarantee. But you know, if I went to the pawn shop, Let's say I went to the pawn shop and I took my tool pouch and I've got all my electrical tools in my tool pouch 
And I go there and I say, I'm going to leave this. Could you give me some money on it? They say, well, uh, we'll give you $100 on it. So when I go back, I gave them a pledge. Right? They gave me $100. Those two are two totally different things, aren't they? You know, we could do this. I'm going to buy a piece of property from Vaughn. And I say, Vaughn, $25,000 is the purchase price. Vaughn, I'm going to give you my truck. I'm going to leave you my truck and the title with you for a pledge. And when I come back, I'll give you the $25,000. He's going to give me my pledge back. That's not what we got as an inheritance. We got a portion. We got the earnest. We got a part of the same. We got a part of the same thing that we're going to get the completion of. We got a portion, a down payment. Uh, 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 we got the earnest. We got, we got the first installment of what we're going to get the completeness of. You see, I, I'm not going to get something different. I'm going to get more of the same. You know, I could have went to Vaughn and I said, Vaughn, I'm a, I, all I've got in my, in my truck, I, I've got $500. I'm going to give Vaughn $500. When I go back, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to add to that $500, $24,500 more. The same type gave him an installment, a part of the same type, same nature. We got the earnest of the Spirit. We got the first installment. Paul, uh, Paul talks about the first fruits of the Spirit, right? So when we think about first fruits, what do we think about when we think about first fruits? So if we were back in the biblical days when the Bible was wrote in the Old Testament, we're going to bring the first fruits of the wheat crop, the first fruits of the corn crop. We're going to bring those first fruits in and we're going to offer them to God. And what's the rest of the fruit? The rest of the crop. What you and I got is the earnest, which is a part of the same type, the same nature. We got the first installment of the fullness of what we are going to get. God's not going to take what I've got and give me something else. God is going to give me a portion of the whole that is coming to me. So as you think about that, He says this, uh, and, and, and you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. Who is, which is, who is the earnest of, the, of our inheritance? So what is my inheritance? What is the fullness of my inheritance? Heaven. To be like God. I mean, I've got a portion now of the third person of the Godhead, right? If, if you're saved, you have the down payment, the first fruits of what is yet to come. So now we have the Spirit of God dwelling in us. What's going to happen in the end? We're going to have the fullness, are we not? 
We don't know what we shall be, but we do, do know this. We're going to be like Him. Isn't that right? I'm going to be more like Him than I am now. There's a little bitty, bitty, bitty portion of me that's like God now. Most of the time, it may be overshadowed and it may be darkened and it may be hidden by this flesh that you and I have got. But there's a part of you where the seal was left and friend, where the authentication is and where the guarantee is and where God gave you a portion of what is yet to come. He gave you a part of Himself and He left that impression on your heart. There's more to come. All we've received is the first installment. You know, I, 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 I got a loan when I built my house. You know, I made payments for a lot of years. A lot of years I made payments. You know, I paid them with the same thing every time. I paid them with what we would say was money, whether it was a check or it was a cash, uh, uh, cash, however you may want to look at it, it was based on the dollar. That's what I paid them with. Every installment I paid was to bring me, I paid them, and you know, one day I paid them off. But what I gave them and what they gave me was two, two totally different things. When God, when God gives us the fullness of what's coming, it'll be more of what we now. We are now. We are possessors now. We are now in the family of God. We are now sons of God. Are we not? We are now. Now, children of God. We should be living now as though we have a portion of and are expecting the completeness and the fullness of what God has bought and paid for. He's given us a portion. He's given us the earnest. So, this, this word, and I probably won't say it right, but the word earnest in the Greek, it sort of sounds like this, erhabon. Arabon. You know what that is? Arabon. It's a picture of an engagement ring. What's that lady looking for that gets an engagement ring? What will the finish of that be? It'll be a, it'll be a band, won't it? She's got an engagement ring. What has that fellow said to her? He said, I want you to be my wife. And the day that you become my wife, I'm going to give you more. I'm not just going to give you an engagement ring, but I'm going to, I'm going to give you a band. And when that band is brought forth, you are going to be completely my wife. I am going to be your husband. You are going to be my life, my wife. This word, this earnest, is in the Greek a picture of the engagement ring, and there was more to come. So that's that's what God is doing, and this seal, this earnest of the Spirit, is within us. So He says. So you think about this. So that arabon means this. 
full security backed by the purchaser who supplies sufficient proof they will fulfill the entire promise. And again, we possess this now. We are in possession. It's really, it's partial right now, isn't it? It's, it's incomplete. We don't have the completeness that we're going to have. But we do have a portion of what is yet to come. If you would read with me, read with me in 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. I'm going to read verse 20, maybe two or three verses. For all of the promises of God in Him, talking about in Christ Jesus, in Him are yea, and in Him, amen, under the glory of God by us. So just let's look at this verse for just a second. In Him are yea, so that word means yes, and in Him, amen, surely, firm, trustworthy. Now He which has which establisheth us with you to establish or confirm you in Christ and hath anointed us in God. Who? Now who? Who is who? In verse number 22. God. God who hath also sealed us to stamp with a signet for security, for ownership, for authenticity, to mark as one's own for God. God who has sealed us. Now in this verse, He sealed us just like He did in in Ephesians chapter 1. He has sealed us and give us the earnest. He has not only sealed us, He's not only said you're mine and I'm yours, He's left evidence of it. He's left His mark. He's given us a portion of Himself to know this, ladies and gentlemen. One day, He's coming after the completeness of you and I. I'm going to get the completeness of what God has given me as an inheritor. And God is going to get the completeness that He has bought through and by the blood of the Lord Jesus. See, this goes two ways. God is getting something. God's got a partial me right now. Would you say He's got a partial you? Would you say that the world has got part of you? Your wife has got part of you? Your children's got part of you? Somebody else has got part of you? God does not have all of you at this moment in time, does He? And neither do you have all of God that is coming to you. But right now we have a, the earnest. We have a portion of... Same nature, same type. We've got the first installment, but there is more to come. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 21. Now He which established us with you in Christ and hath anointed us is God, who hath also sealed us and given us the earnest of the Spirit in our hearts. Where is the stamp? Where is the authentication? Where is the ownership? Where is the mark? Where is the seal? Where is that? That's in the heart of you and I as individuals 
God has left His Spirit within you. What for? To establish us. To confirm us. To settle us. You think we need establishing in this world? Are we not in a world of absolute chaos and all the time the devil and the world and the flesh I may call into question your salvation, whether you're really saved? You know what he did? He said, I want to leave you something that will establish you. And the one that established you is God. Who hath? God who hath. Who hath sealed us and also given us the earnest of the Spirit that we might be established. Isn't that what Paul is talking about in Ephesians chapter 1? That we might be established. You know something? My salvation and yours, if you're saved, is a work of the Godhead. Has he ever failed? Has he ever lost a one? Is he ever going to lose a one? You know what I can do? I can be established. I can be established. You say, well, I don't believe that. Well, I'll, I'll just say it like this. It was God who elected. It was Jesus who redeemed. And it was He, the Holy Spirit, who sanctified, who sealed, and who gives me, gave me, and gives me the assurance of my salvation. Every bit of it of God. Romans 8, 22. Romans chapter 8. Are we in a battle? You know, I mean, we've got the earnest. We've got a partial. We've got, a, we got the first installment. Romans 8, Romans 8, verse 22. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit. Do you ever groan? I say this, if you're a child of God, you groan. If you're a child of God, you groan. And I believe for maybe several different reasons. I groan because of the sin that is in me. I groan that, we might, that I might be rid of this sinful flesh. I groan that I disappoint God. I groan uh, that I could be released from this body of death and be delivered. I am delivered, but yet there is deliverance to come. I have been delivered. I am saved. I am justified. I have been sanctified, but there's an ongoing sanctification. I have been glorified, but there is a greater glory to come. Do you groan? I say this, if you don't groan, if you don't groan from living in this world, I wonder, are you really saved? This is what the Bible says. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits. Why should I groan? 
<laughs> I tell you, because of the first fruits of the Spirit in me, it causes me to groan. The first fruits, even we ourselves, groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit, the redemption of the body. Are we saved? We're saved. By hope, I have a certain expectation that one day there's going to be a completeness. But in this body, in this sinful, natural uh, body that I have that came from Adam, I tell you that in this body I groan. Desiring, you'll say in 2 Corinthians chapter number 5, desiring to be clothed with our house from heaven. Right? What is, why, why do we groan? Why is it this complete? I'll tell you, it'll only be complete when we get a new body. Right now I have the earnest. Right now I have the down payment. Right now I have the first installment. Right now I have a portion of what is yet to come. So Paul says in 8.22, For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. And not only they, not only the earth, not only does the earth groan, not only does the creation groan, but we ourselves also which have the first fruits of the Spirit. What, what would we like? I tell you, if I can ever reach it, if I can ever get a taste of it, you know what I want? I want more of it. If we, get in, if we get into fellowship, if we get in communion, if we get in the presence of God, I, 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 I desire more of it. We groan, we yearn for more. Why do we groan? We have the first fruits of the Spirit. Even so, ourselves groan within ourselves. So the, is the flesh groaning to be rid of the flesh? That'd be like the devil fighting against the devil, wouldn't it? But within you, within you where the mark is, where the seal is, where the Holy Spirit, He, the Holy Spirit, dwells and lives, there's a groaning within you. We groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption, the completeness, the adoption to wit the redemption of the body. For we are saved by hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why does he yet hope for? But if we hope for that we see not, we do with patience wait for it. What are we waiting for? I tell you, we're waiting for the complete redemption. We're waiting for the complete inheritance. We're waiting for the complete, not just the earnest, not the first installment, but we're waiting for and longing for the complete inheritance that's coming. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we've already alluded to it, but listen to what Paul says. For we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, this tent's loosened down. This tent comes down. We have a building of God. A house not made with hands eternal in the heavens. What is that? It's a new body. We got a body that comes from heaven. I'm not going to have a portion. I'm not going to, you know, Jesus, Jesus, when he was here, it wasn't a part of the Spirit. Oh no, he had the fullness of the Spirit. You know what? One day we're going to have the fullness of the Spirit. 
Right now we've got an installment that we might be established. An installment to know that He's coming after the rest. An installment to know that one day, ladies and gentlemen, the fullness of what God has bought and paid for, He's coming after it. So, for in this we groan. (laughs) Here we are groaning again. What are we groaning in? We're groaning in this outward man. We're groaning in this tent. We're groaning in this. We groan... We groan earnestly desiring to be clothed with our house which is from heaven. If so, being clothed, we shall not be found naked. For we that are in this tabernacle do groan, being burdened. Not for that we would be unclothed, but clothed upon that mortality might be swallowed up of life. Now He that wrought us, He that formed us, He that made us, He that fashioned us for this self-same thing is God, who also hath given us the earnest of the Spirit. Can you see, ladies and gentlemen, that what you and I have is a small portion of the fullness that is yet to come in this in this world, in this creation, in this body, we groan. Not to be unclothed, but to be clothed upon. So, a little more. Which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession. So the redemption, what will be the complete redemption? I tell you, it'll be, we'll be with God. I will be, I will have the completeness of God in me, and He will have me completely. Now I ask you this, is that not what Jesus Christ died for? Did He not die? For us to be with God completely, that God would have all of me, and that I would have all of what is coming to me in my inheritance. He purchased that. That's that's what he said. The redemption, until the redemption, so I've got this until the redemption of the purchased. Possession. So this redemption, I've got a complete salvation, purchased, acquisition, already been acquired. You know, this, this might be hard to chew on. When was this acquired? Before the foundation of the world. Who was acquired? I'm ahead of where I'm intended to be, but we'll just go with this. So I'd like for you to read two verses with him in the book of the Revelation. 13.8 and 17.8. Until the redemption 
of the purchased possession. Thirteen eight, and all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him. Talking about the beast, whose names are not written in the book of life of the Lamb, slain from the foundation of the world. Now, I believe we've got Bible that says Jesus Christ was slain from the foundation of the world. And I believe that we can read in this verse that there is a group of people whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life from the foundation of the world. Go with me to 17.8. The beast that thou sawest and is not, and shall ascend out of the bottomless pit and go into perdition, and they that dwell upon the earth shall wonder, whose names were not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world. So do you believe that God has a book of life? Would you say that the Bible says God has a book of life? I don't know where we can say that literally. But John gives us that picture. At the courthouse, I say every one of you in here, at the courthouse is a document on you. When you were born, who your mother was, who your father was, the date and the time and the place. Would you say that's true? So for us to wrap my little pea brain around it, God gives us this picture. God has a book of life. Whose name is in it? Everybody that will ever be saved. When were their names written there? Before the foundation of the world. When did Jesus, when did Jesus, when was Christ slain that these people's names could be in the Lamb's book of life? Before the foundation of the world in the mind of God. Okay? Your name was there before the foundation of the world and Jesus Christ was slain before the foundation of the world in the mind of God. Jesus died in time though, didn't He? I was hearing, I was believing, I was sealed and given the earnest in time. But that was all planned before the foundation of the world by God. You can't get around this, folks. You can't get around it. You can't get around that God had a book of every person that was ever going to be saved in it before the foundation of the world. You can't take that that God knows everything that is every person that will ever be saved. You can't take that and put free will in that and then say, well, God knew. 
How could God know if it's up to you and your free will? I'll tell you the reason God knew is because God created you and from the foundation of the world you were created by Almighty God. You were created for His purpose. So this completeness, we have a foretaste. We're going to have a complete deliverance. We're going to have a complete salvation. We're going to be like Him. He's going to get everything. I believe this is very important. Verse number 14, listen to these words. Until the redemption, we have the earnest of the Spirit, we have the earnest of our inheritance, until the redemption of the purchased possession. So I ask you this. What purchased you? I believe you could say it like this. The blood of Jesus Christ purchased you. Right? So did Jesus Christ make a purchase by His blood and did not get a possession? We're living in a world that says Jesus Christ died for the whole world. If Jesus Christ died for the whole world, I tell you, for the majority, He is coming up short, is He not? Is He not over and over and over, day after day, millions of people are going out, thousands and upon thousands and millions upon millions have never heard the Word of God and millions have never been moved on by the Holy Spirit and millions more have never yielded themselves unto Christ. If He died for the whole world, ladies and gentlemen, His possession is sure coming up short. He paid a great price and got a little bitty portion of what He paid for. Now I ask you this. Who gave him up? Who was it that allowed? Who was it that planned? Who was it that purposed that Jesus Christ would die? God did. Let's read a verse. Acts chapter number 2, very familiar verse. You'll know it when I begin to read it. 2.38, I believe it is. 2.23. Let me read 22 and 23. Ye men of Israel, hear the words, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by Him in the midst of you, as yourselves also know. Him being delivered being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, you have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. Who gave Him? God did. The word means this. Him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God. Him being surrendered, given over. By God. Do you think that God is going to allow Jesus Christ to pay for 
25 billion people. And when we come down to the end, there's going to be 1 billion. Is that going to happen? Is God going to give over His Son to be slain for a multitude of people and He's going to pay the price to acquire them and they're never going to be His possession? That's in the verse. You see it in the verse? The purchased possession. That's not going to happen, folks. I believe we got Scripture that will back it up. Let's look at a few places. Let's look in Isaiah chapter number 53 for just a moment. Isaiah chapter 53. So here's God's plan, right? Isaiah chapter 53. Verse number 10. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him, that he might put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin. So there's the purchase, right? His soul was an offering. Blood is an offering, a type, are we not seeing blood? He made his soul an offering for sin. He shall see his seed. I ask you this, who is the seed of Jesus Christ? Is it everybody in the world? No, I'll tell you what. He made an offering and saw His seed. He saw His seed. He shall prolong His days and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in His hand. He shall see the travail of His soul and shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many. For he shall bear, he shall carry, he shall put on his back their iniquities. You mean to tell me that he is going to carry everybody's iniquities? He's going to bear everyone's iniquities and then man's going to die and go to hell? No, he saw his seed. He bore their iniquity. In chapter or number verse number five, he said this, and we are healed. I tell you, everybody is not healed. Verse number five, Isaiah chapter fifty-three. He was wounded for our transgression, bruised for our iniquities, chastisement of peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. Who did he die for? Who is he bruised for? Who is he beaten for? Who did he give his life for? Who did God give him over for? He gave him over for those who are healed for his seed. He died for you that you could be saved. He's not going to come up. I tell you right now, God Almighty is not going to short His Son on what He paid for. That's blasphemous. That is blasphemous to think that God would shortchange His Son. This is not a possible salvation. This is a realized Salvation. Look with me in Romans. Well, let's let's go to John first. John chapter 17. John chapter 17. And you know, really, 
You could read chapter number 6, chapter number 10, and chapter number 17, and I tell you what you're going to see in those chapters in the book of John. You are going to see God Almighty doing a work, and He has got a people that He is working in and working through. He has got His sheep, His flock, His called, His elect, His sheep, His family, those that are come out of the world. He doesn't pray for the world. He is praying for you and I that are saved and will be saved. Preacher, I don't believe that. Well, I'm going to read you a verse and then I'm going to John. Like I said, I would. But this is what the Apostle Paul said. He said, Therefore, I endure all things for the elect's sake. Who are the elect? You think Paul knows who the elect are? He has absolutely no idea who the elect are. He does know that the church down at Thessalonica are elect. You know why they're elect? How does Paul know that they're elect? They receive the Word of God. They turn from idols unto God. They've got the witness of the Holy Ghost. He sees the result of God's work in their life. He knows they're elect. But what does he know? What does he know in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse Number 10, therefore I endure all things for the elect's sake. Preacher, you're elect when you choose God that they may also obtain. They don't have salvation yet. Are they elect? You better believe they're elect. They haven't obtained salvation yet, but Paul's enduring all things. Paul's enduring beating. Paul's enduring shipwreck. Paul's enduring stoning. Paul's enduring the Jews. Paul is enduring every kind of ungodly and wretched thing and the, and the troubles of this world and the affliction and the persecution that those that are elect might come to it. That's the way it works, folks. You don't elect yourself. You might as well get rid of that mess. God elected you. God chose you. Paul said, I endure all things for the elect's sake, that they may also obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. John chapter 17 Verse number 9. I tell you, it's just all over this chapter. Verse 3, And this is life eternal, that they might know Thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom Thou hast given, whom Thou hast sent. I have glorified Thee on the earth. I have finished My work that Thou gavest Me to do. And now, O Father, glorify Thou me with Thine own self, with the glory which I had before, with Thee before the world was. Verse number 9. I pray for them. I pray not for the world. Who's He praying for? He's praying for them that are given. He's praying to the, for them that God has given Him. Verse 9. I pray for them. I pray not for the world, but for them which Thou hast given me, for they are Thine. All mine are Thine, and Thine are mine, and I am glorified in them. He comes on down later in this chapter. Verse 23, He said, I am in them and Thou in Me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that Thou hast sent Me and hast loved them 
as thou hast loved me. My, my, my. You say, well, God loves the whole world. I believe that God loves the whole world. I sure do. But I tell you what, He loves you with a special love if you're saved. He loves you with a special love. Romans chapter number 8. Romans chapter 8. Verse 32. Now let's, let's read this close with me, will you? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up. I just read a verse to you, 2.23 in the book of Acts, that God delivered him up. Delivered Jesus. Handed him over. To do what? To die. Romans 8.32. He that spared not his own son but delivered Him up for us, us all, how shall He not with Him... Now, don't forget who the letter's written to. Letter's written to the church. But, but you, won't have, you won't have to go to the front of the letter to see that. You'll be able to see that right here. He that spared not His own Son, but delivered Him up for us all, how shall He not with Him also freely give us all things. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? Would you say that Jesus died for God's elect? Jesus died for God's elect. I believe that. Let's read on. It is God that justifieth. So God through Jesus Christ's death, justify. Who is He that condemneth? It is Christ that died. Yea, rather that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God who maketh intercession for us. So I want you to think with me now for a moment. Who's justified? Those who Jesus died for, they are all justified. Who died? Christ died. Who did He die for? The justified. Did He die for those that are not justified? He did not. He died for those that are justified. I want to read it again, starting 32. He that spared not His son. So there's God who gave Him up for us all. So there's His death. How shall He not with Him also freely give us... Here's His resurrection. With Him give us all things. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? So those that God chose, it is God that justified. So if you are justified, you are God's elect. Right? No way around that. You're God's elect if you're justified. Well, who's justified? Those that Jesus Christ died for by the Word of God. Who is He that condemneth? It is Christ that died. You're going to condemn a justified man? God has justified me. 
How were you justified? Through the death of the Lord Jesus Christ, I've been justified. And do you know something else? He arose. He arose, ladies and gentlemen, that I could be justified. He died for my sins, arose again for my justification. Who is it that died? Christ died. Right there, ladies and gentlemen, is Jesus Christ dying for the justified. He's dying for those God's elect. He's dying for those that God chose. There's no way around that unless you're going to rest and twist the Scripture. I'll go just a little farther in Revelation. One more time. Revelation chapter number chapter number 5. And then I'd also remind you of chapter 13 and, verse, and chapter 17. So here they are. John is weeping. Chapter 5, John is weeping. Nobody to open the book. Nobody to bring salvation. Nobody to bring the plan of God. Nobody to bring that. And here's a lamb. Here's what the Bible says. The Bible said, and he... I mean, John looked... John looked in verse number 6, and behold, in the midst of the throne and the four beasts and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as it had been slain. What about a lamb that's slain that's standing? Is that a picture of Jesus Christ? Is that a picture of He that says, I am He that liveth and was dead, and behold, I'm alive forevermore. Here's the Lamb of God. Having seven horns, seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent forth unto all earth. He came and took the book out of the right hand of Him that sat on the throne. And when He had taken the book, the four beasts and the four and twenty elders fell down before the Lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of the saints. Now listen to this verse. And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof. How did you become worthy? How? What? Why? For thou was slain, and hast redeemed us. Praise God, He redeemed everyone that He was slain for. Thou was slain and hast redeemed us. Isn't that wonderful? I'll tell you, thank God He's not going to lose a one. Thou was slain. And I tell you, if, if, if you can't see this, you are absolutely shutting your eyes to the truth of the Word of God. Thou was slain. What are they praising Him for? Because He was slain and He redeemed them. Not a hope so redemption. Not a possible redemption. Thou hast redeemed us. You want to see the world? You want to see God so loved the world? It's in this verse. And has redeemed us to God by thy blood. There's His death, isn't it? Isn't by His blood His death? So He was slain, and by His blood He hath redeemed us. He has purchased us. The purchased possession. So He paid a price, but He didn't get a possession. That's not what my Bible says. My Bible said He paid a price and got a possession. Out of every kindred, every tongue, 
every people and every nation. There's the world, folks. There's the world. Every kindred, every tongue, every people, every nation. And hast made us. Past tense. And hast made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall. You know what he did. I tell you, he made me a king and a priest. Through the work of the Lord Jesus Christ, I have been redeemed. I have been made a king and a priest. I can intercede to God. I can pray for you. You can pray for me. He has made me a king over this house right here. He's made me a king. And again, please remember the third, chapter 13 and chapter number 17. But uh, please remember this. He died in the mind and the plan of God before the foundation of the world. You were chosen before the foundation of the world. You are chosen unto salvation. You are chosen to be made holy and without blame. You are chosen to be adopted. You are predestined to be adopted, to be placed as a son. But that happened in, in my eyes, for me, in my vision, in time. In the fullness of time, God sent His Son made of a woman. Right? To do what? To come and die. In time, in 1983, God, by me hearing, by me believing, by the work of the Holy Spirit in my heart, God brought me to conviction and convinced me that I needed a Savior. And by the work and by the gift of the Holy Spirit of God and by the gift of believing and by the gift of faith, I put my faith and trust in Christ and I was saved, sealed, and I am tonight. Saved, sealed, and predestined to go to heaven by the work of the Godhead. By the choosing, the election of God, the redemption that is in Jesus Christ, and by the application, really it's by the application of the Holy Spirit. Jesus' blood, Jesus' death has to be applied to me individually. The Holy Ghost applied that. He brought that to me, made me aware of it. And I wanted to be saved. I did not come kicking and screaming. I come bawling and running. That's the way I came. Amen. I came down, David. That's exactly right.